My name is Gina. I'm the ASNBC Vice President. I'm going to be accompanied by um, Eliberto Torres. He is an ASNBC Senator. We are going to be, uh, we're going to do a quick disclaimer before we start our event. But if you don't know where you're at, you're at a fireside chat about immigration policy. So, yes, thank you for coming. Thank you for coming. Here's my quick disclaimer. Uh, the fireside chat, uh, by the way, I'm sorry, let me go back, rewind a little bit. Um, I'm going to be um, speaking in English, and then Eddie is going to be translating everything in Spanish um, for any of the Spanish, Spanish speakers that we have tonight. And it's going to also, this whole event is going to be uh, on Facebook Live, so you can refer back to it, and you can um, tell other people about the event. And it's going to be in Spanish, so anyone that's a, like a solely a Spanish speaker can understand everything that's going on today. Um, but here's my disclaimer. The Fireside Chat Series is an informational opportunity for students to learn and discuss policies that are affecting California today. As a neutral party, Napa Valley College cannot officially take a stance on any given issue. This event's purpose is to provide a platform for students to openly discuss opinions in a welcoming and confidential setting. If any attendee becomes disruptive or rowdy, we reserve the right to escort said party from the event. We would like to thank all of you for coming. Um, and we hope you enjoy the event. La serie de Fireside Chat es una oportunidad informativa para que los estudiantes aprendan y discutan pólizas que afectan californianos hoy en día. Como, el, como un partido neutral, el Colegio Comunitario del Valle de Napa no puede tomar una postura oficialmente. El propósito del evento es para proveer una plataforma donde estudiantes puedan abiertamente discutir opciones, opiniones. Si alguien quien ha atendido este evento empieza a interrumpir o volverse ruidoso, nosotros reservamos el derecho de removerlos de la audiencia. Les queremos dar la bienvenida y darles gracias a todos los que atendieron hoy. Esperemos les encante el evento. Um, we're going to go ahead and start off with our... Actually, we're going to go ahead and introduce our panelists. Um, I can start over here, Jose. They're going to introduce themselves and get a, give a little bit of quick background information on, on their um, involvement in, in, in immigration policy and reform. Yeah, check one. Uh, see, this microphone lies. It had numbers, but it wasn't actually on. Uh, good evening, everyone. My name is Jose Sanchez. I work here in the IT department at the college. My title is a web applications analyst, but I function in a business analyst role, which means I kind of have to learn about all the different systems, how they work, how they work together to deliver the services out to all of our students. Um, and my interest in kind of engagement in immigration policy comes from my activities as a Puente mentor. I've done that for a number of years. I had to lay off while I've been working on my uh, uh, master's program. But my wife also happens to now be the counselor for the Puente program. So I keep a lot of contact with uh, the students in that program, and these policies directly affect them and their families. So it's really beneficial for me to inform myself and be active and try to educate myself as much as possible so that I can act as a resource to those students. Uh, and it's also extended into my community involvement. Myself, uh, my uncle and myself put together a folklorico group. Again, I had to lay off of it recently but a number of our students are also affected by these policies. So it helps in all the different roles that I choose to engage in to be a, a, at least a little bit informed 
uh, and be able to uh, give some useful opinions on uh, this topic. Okay. Don't hold it where it's pink, because the pink will come off on your hand. Okay. Uh, hi, I'm Jill Teckel. I'm mayor of the city of Napa, and um, always have been interested and involved in immigration, probably from a standpoint of how do we take folks that have come to our community, that are working in our community, living in our community, going to school in our community, and really integrate them um, into the community life. And so I've done... Uh, in the past, some leadership programs. Uh, I did one probably 10 years ago over at My Commas Housing Project that was designed to do that, to give people the tools to become more involved in the community and more integrated in the community. It's been a little uh, more uh, dicey uh, this year. Uh, after the election, um, I asked one of the staffers at Community Housing Napa Valley to find out the residents there and how were they feeling um, right after the election. And they came back and they said, the kids, the children are absolutely petrified. They're scared. Um, they don't know what to do, and they just have this feeling of unease. And then um, some of the parents have decided they're just going to go to Mexico. They don't know what's going on, but they just have decided they're going to go back. And another group said, uh, we're going to go to San, San Francisco because it's a sanctuary city and we feel we'll be safe there. And so finding out what concerns are out in the community helps me figure out the different options for Napa to help them deal with that. And with later questions, I'll get into some of those. Okay. <clears throat> Greetings, everybody. Um, my name is Alejandro Guerrero. I go by Alex. I'm an educator here in Napa Valley College. I've been an educator at NVC for um, going on 11 years. <clears throat> I currently am a counselor for a professor of counseling for the EOPS program, um, and I was counselor for the Puente program for six years. So <clears throat> beyond that, I'm I'm a I'm from this community. My my um, family came here many many years ago. Um, I I literally live right off the center of downtown Napa. So I'm very, very invested in what occurs in this community. <clears throat> so to kind of like, how am I interested in this topic of immigration? To me, that's kind of hard. Well, it's a, it's a funny question because when I think about immigration, um, I don't necessarily think from the perspective of, well, my people are immigrants or we're immigrating because that's according to law, to policy. My people are native to this land, right? My people come from this place. So we're not really immigrants if you really think about it. So I, I, I kind of sit with that um, and honor kind of the, the, the my people, <clears throat> we come from here. But to go back around policy and law, um, it's important for me to be invested because I'm really, really interested in making sure that our, our community members are treated with respect, with dignity, um, that they're humanized, right? And with this um, recent election, things have shifted. Um, my students are being impacted by this. My family members are being impacted by this. Uh, my community is being impacted by this. So I, I'm very, very passionate and interested about um, this discussion. Hey there, everyone. My name is Ricardo Hurtado. Many of uh, my close friends know me by Ricky. Um, but I work with the Up Valley Family Centers of Napa County, uh, and we offer a multitude of services, including immigration services, 
and just in the last couple of years, we implemented that program, and we're actually very lucky to have started it because now we see a big demand um, of providing that kind of service. Um, in my role with the Up Valley Family Centers, I mainly focus on the grant writing, the uh, fundraising, and communications of the organization. But why I'm so vested into it, one, is because I get to apply for those grants, but two, uh, is because uh, I, I always have been. Uh, since, since a child, I am the son of immigrants, as Alex uh, says, you know, in policy, right? Uh, and uh, it, yeah, I have a mixed family. Uh, by that, I refer to uh, saying that, you know, some of my family members are documented, some of them are not. Uh, and so that's why I've always been invested into that, and it affects our NAPA um, and so want to continue making sure that uh, our fellow Nappans uh, feel secure, uh, and especially here in California with the new administration. So um, thank you all for this opportunity. Thanks to the college uh, and the student government for putting this on for your local community. I just want to have everyone give a round of applause for our panelists for being here today. Um, thank you so much for taking your time. For taking the time out of your evening to come here and talk to everyone and inform everyone about immigration policy and reform. Uh, I myself am a daughter of immigrants. My parents immigrated from the Middle East in uh, 1970 and 1993. And I know Eddie also has family that has immigrated um, from Mexico. Um, so with that, I'm going to move on to our first question. Um, it's how do immigrants affect and contribute to our economy? Similarly, how much is spent on immigration enforcement? I'm going to be reading the questions in Spanish as well uh, for all of the, our Spanish-speaking community. So, ¿cómo afectan y contribuyen los inmigrantes a la economía? Similarmente, ¿cómo, ¿cuánto dinero se usa en esforzar inmigración? Um. I guess the first thing that I would like to say is that this is not a new question, right? This is a question that's been getting asked time and again. When I first went to college, it was 1988, 1989, and that was the time when they were debating about Proposition 187, which again was focused on these same kind of issues that affect the community that I come from, right? Immigration policies, they're using our resources, they cost us money. From what I recall back in those days, the best, most conservative estimates that you could find put the cost of what what then was the, the undocumented immigrant population, somewhere around $113 billion a year. But their contributions, again, by the most conservative numbers that you could find, were somewhere upwards of $120 billion. So the net benefit to the economy was always on the plus side. And what that said to me was that this argument is really seldom about actual resources. It's not about money. It's this emotional issue that you're dealing with. That being the case, I think it's really important to have numbers, you know, either in the back of your head, general idea, and know where people are deriving their numbers from. In poking around, I found that um, just looking at places like U.S. News and World Report, um, and they pulled data from the Pew Research Center and the Institute on Taxation and Economic Policy. Those are two great kind of nonpartisan groups to get information from. And what you find is that there's about 11 million undocumented immigrants in the U.S., and these were 2013 numbers, the most concise I could find. So that was about 3% of a total population, right? 
when you look at their average effective tax rate in that community, they're paying about 8% of their income in taxes. Now, the top 1% of earners are only paying about 4 or 5. So, first off, to say they're not paying their fair share when they're here is an unfair statement. They're paying taxation rates that fall in line with everyone else. What also gets missed is that you're only recording about 75% of those uh, immigrants in the country because those are the ones reporting their taxes. So you're already losing 25% simply because you're choosing to not let them feel safe. If you would say, I know you're here and we're not going to build the system to attack you, that alone would increase revenues. Um, if you look at the buying power of the undocumented population in 2014, it was estimated at $157 billion to the national economy. That's 5% of GDP that's coming from this small population. So now when you put that in contrast with what we spend, about $17.2 billion of that 157 comes from undocumented immigrants who are entrepreneurs. They have started their own businesses. We spend in 2014 somewhere around $20 billion on enforcement. So the entrepreneurs themselves are almost generating enough income to finance what we are spending on the policy. And what the numbers say to me is that the path that we choose to take at this point, it is purely punitive and it's purely a choice. It doesn't make economic sense. Uh, and that's probably, from where I sit, one of the most frustrating things is that the numbers just don't add up to say that you should make it a priority or that you should be worrying about that as some kind of a top-level negative effect upon the society in general. You did your homework. <laughs> um, and actually, Napa and Napa County's done its homework. The foundation uh, for Napa County did a study a few years ago to find out what are the numbers in Napa County, what is the effect in Napa County. And um, it, came, it, it, it shows the numbers on a, on a local county basis of really how valuable the immigrant population is. And, and um, I say this, uh, you know, I think we're all immigrants in the United States of America. At some point, we can go back and see where we, where we came from or where our relatives came from. So, um, yeah, again, I think, I think we're all part of that. Uh, so it's amazing. In Napa County... We wouldn't, we wouldn't succeed, succeed without our immigrant population. Um, even in, you know, bringing in their families and going to schools, uh, we're in a place of declining enrollment. And I think we'd be finding, um, some real challenges for our schools if we didn't have the immigrant population. Um, and I know from the city of Napa standpoint, when they did this study and said, this is how important immigrants are. And again, and then the goal is how do we help them transition to even become more more part of our communities. And we're helping to fund a citizenship initiative that is going on through the foundation so that those folks that are here get some help with the expenses um, and get some, um, you know, resources in order for them to get their citizenship. So um, I, don't, I think they contribute in amazing ways, especially in Napa County. I can't imagine us really ever having that question um, I did get a, once in a while, I got one email from somebody who said, you know, Jill, you, you, they're taking away our jobs. And I don't know who the they is, but um, 
I, I would tell him that there are several jobs that he's more than willing to go to and uh, that our immigrants are doing and doing a fabulous job. Um, and I will just say locally, we don't spend one dime on immigrant enforcement. That is not the city of Napa. Um, uh, that is not in our budget, and we don't spend any money on that. So, um, yes, there's a lot of homework done on that side. Uh, <clears throat> I love I love the numbers, and I think that's really important. Um, but I can speak more towards kind of the experience of, of students of the college. Um, and as far as as far as Napa Valley College, and, and specifically um, as a counselor, as a as a as a teacher, <clears throat> I work with a lot of students who are AB 540 or undocumented, and then transfer to the university, right? And then are in process of getting their careers started. Um, and there's, there's a large number of students who do this, right? Right now we have, I think we're, we're HSI, so um, not that all um, of our immigrant or undocumented um, <coughs> students are, are Chicano Latino, but we're about 38%, <clears throat> and of the number, I don't have the exact number for how many students um, are undocumented, but there's a large percent of immigrant students here um, on this campus, and they're in all of our classes. They contribute to the discussions. They're they're, they're part of our, our community. They're they're working really hard, and they're transferring to the university. When when they get their their degrees, they come back here or somewhere else, and they contribute. They're 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 doing their part, their share to make our world, our our, our community a, a better place. Um, <clears throat> so. And I can also tell you, as far as Napa Valley College, as far as how much is spent around enforcement, also zero, right? That's that's something that our college has um, has said that they will um, we will continue to do what we do um, and, and run our college the way we've been running it. And we're not um, ICE agents here. We're not searching out um, students who are undocumented. So so the same zero. <clears throat> Great question. I first saw these questions. I was like, oh, all right, they're going to make us, uh, you know, dig in a little bit deep. Uh, and so, you know, the way I look at this question, how they affect and, you know, the, the, how much is spent on immigration enforcement, I look at it, uh, the way that they contribute, not just economically, uh, but I look at it, look at it in a way that it's culturally as well. Uh, so that is, um, uh, you know, immigrants throughout uh, the years uh, and throughout United States history have contributed uh, one way or another uh, culturally and economically. Um, uh, the mayor was talking about a study conducted here by the Napa Valley Community Foundation, and that study actually found that it was a little bit over a billion what uh, immigrants contribute here in Napa County, one billion. Um, so that is quite a significant number. Um, and the results of that uh, Napa Valley Community Foundation study was um, that Napa County future lies with the immigrants and their children. Without these populations, the county's workforce would shrink and economic activity would be reduced. Um, so, you know, we got to look at it in different ways. Now, uh I was talking to Alex beforehand and, you know, immigration and the enforcement of it, it's nothing new. I think we're seeing it more this administration, uh, due to, uh, how it's spoken, um, and, uh, the, the administration has been, um, and, but it has been in place. Uh, you know, we could look at the previous administration and 
over 2 million folks were uh, deported. Um, so we have also have to be looking at that. Now, because of that, uh, we also see that immigration enforcement, then the budgets, you know, uh, those start growing, such as ICE, such as, uh, you know, border enforcement itself. Um, and so, you know, I just wanted to leave it there. So main points of this is not only economically, but we have to look at culturally and the human aspect as well. Thank you. The next question reads, is the immigrant workforce taking jobs? La siguiente pregunta dice, ¿están robando trabajos los inmigrantes? You know, every time this topic comes up, I remember a, a, a South Park episode where everybody was running around screaming, they took my job! Right? The, the short answer is, no, there is no evidence that anybody has that the immigrant population is taking jobs, right? If you look, again, I'm a real data wonk. Being an IT guy, I like to dig for numbers. I like to know the facts and have evidence in hand. Again, looking at the Pew Research Center, in 2015, you had 20% of the workforce, this is the immigrant population, was in farming, fishing, and forestry. Okay? Related to that, the UFW, they ran a campaign to connect unemployed Americans. Again, this was in, in 2013, 2014, I believe. They ran a nationwide campaign to try to connect with unemployed Americans because everybody was saying this is a critical issue in our country. People don't have work and they need to find it. Of the thousands of contacts and interviews that they made, three people accepted jobs. And the reason is they were the farm worker jobs that the immigrants were doing. They are difficult jobs. They are physical. They pay below minimum wage because work. So the work that they are doing, there's that anecdotal statement of it's the jobs that nobody wants. And the answer is no, it's not the jobs that nobody wants. It's the jobs that really require you to be committed to doing extremely hard work and being satisfied with that outcome. So um, there's another point that I was going to make. Yes, because those jobs that they are taking are the lower paying jobs, they also get fewer resources. So they end up in communities with less funding for their schools, less resources for anything else they could possibly get. And probably my biggest frustration when, when people bring up these arguments, they start talking about, well, you know, then their families start growing and they're working these low-paying jobs. And they're eating our resources. My response in those types of situations is, one, these are human beings. These are human beings that are working in members of our community that are providing for our way of life through the best way that they know how. Their contribution is noble, honorable, and earnest. And when those kids are born here and they go to school here, those are American citizens. The biggest frustration in this whole argument is, is what you're probably going to hear a lot in the themes tonight, and it's this dehumanization process. These people aren't a label. These are human beings that are members of our society, contribute and work with us every single day. And we need to understand that there is tremendous value to the whole society and the strength that they bring. No, they don't take jobs. No. No, they don't. Uh, but with that, um, you know, uh, Again, you know, with some research here, 
Um, they're actually, you know, immigrants are providing jobs. Uh, 18% of all small businesses, business owners in the United States are immigrants. And that's according to the Fiscal Policy Institute. So small business owned by immigrants, which is 18%, employed 4.7 million people in this 2007 and generated more than $776 billion annually uh, just from small business by immigrants. Um, now, also, with another study conducted by uh, 14 leading economists um, from uh you know, well-known universities such as Cornell University, um, what they found in their study was that there, quote, there was little to no effect to on overall wages and employment of native, native-born native workers in the long term. So long answer short, <laughs> no. Thank you. Our next question reads, <clears throat> what will be the short-term and long-term effects of the presidential administration's proposed border wall? La siguiente pregunta es, ¿cuáles serán los efectos del muro propuesto por la administración presidencial al corto, largo plazo? So we're going to start rotating who goes first. Okay. So I'll take it and then we'll go, go across um, to the other side. Um, Short term, it's crazy. It's nuts. It's not going to do anything. I don't think they've ever shown it's going to be effective. I think if you could do a cost analysis of how much money you have to spend and what will the benefits be of doing it, it, and that's why I think you see some people like in Washington, and hopefully a lot of people in Washington go, this isn't, this makes no sense. This makes no sense. It's not going to make us safer. Um, it's going to be huge expense. And it's money diverted from things that make people's lives better. It's diverted from things. The AmeriCorps group came to city council the other day. They've been wonderful volunteers in our community, working with the youth and the school kids, um, volunteering but getting a little support so they can do that. That program's on the cutting block, not going to be around anymore. A community development block grants that help local communities um, assess their needs and to help some of the poorest of the poor in the community, they're on the chopping block. Um, environmental, you know, looking to be sure we make good choices for the next generation and the generation after that, that's on the cutting block. So um, there are many things that we aren't funding um, in order for this to be a priority, and it scares me a lot. For me, it's it's beyond what the marriage just, just spoke about. It's also that what's what's this idea, or should I say, rhetoric of the wall really doing to our to our country? It, it was it was almost like a battle cry, um, and, and this immigration this immigration reflected, um, and, and or this, um, this administration. I mean, <clears throat> and and what we see is that. Um, that it's it's gotten people like it reminds me of going to like a basketball game or yay you know go for this and and, and wall this wall um, and it's gotten it's pretty scary because I think what it's done it's it's brought up like some of the really bad things that's that's been there I think but it's just kind of brought it to the surface and now we are literally like at odds with each other 
This country is the most divided it's been in many, many years. Um, and I'm fearful of that. I'm, I'm scared of, of what is, how that's trickled down into our communities. I have, um, <laughs> I have two kids who go to school here in Napa. And after Trump was elected, there was kids on their, on their campus, um, talking about, we're going to build that wall. Right. And like, this is, this is seven year olds and eight year olds. It's like, where did they learn this stuff? Right. And, and well, they learn it by watching TV and hearing their parents because it's been everywhere. Um, so, so, you know, like to, to answer this question, the, the short term, you know, what, what are the, the effects of it? Well, we're already seeing what's done. It's, it's, it's really like this, um, poison that's been put into our communities. And long term, I think ultimately it, it's going to take away from services to the most needy members of our society. Um, and, and of course now with, with this president trying to, um, get his things passed, well, now he's kind of starting to back away from it. So it's like from day to day, things change, right? So, um, long term effects, I, I, you know, it's going to con- continue to divide, continue to divide us, continue to, to, um, anger our community and, and to dehumanize. It was not going to look at the root cause of what's going on with neighboring countries. So I don't think it's the right solution. Um, you know, and just, uh, the director, the White House director, uh, current, uh, Mick Mulvaney, uh, he estimated that the wall would cost anywhere between 8 million to 25 million per mile. Now, keep in mind, there's about 19, uh, there's 1,950 miles along the U.S.-Mexico uh, border. So do that, the math. That would be about 15 to uh, $48 billion uh, that could be spent otherwise. Um, so uh, one of the effects that I see is, uh, you know, the, the human aspect of it, but to also environmentally uh, wildlife, um, and, you know, the border area is home to one of the most valuable wildlife, uh, refugees, refuges, uh, national parks, public lands, and important to biodiversity. So I just don't think it will look, it will, it will solve the problems. Um, matter of fact, it will, you know, further, uh, strain the relationship of, uh, U.S. Mexico, but also with what, uh, Alex was saying. Um, you know, I'm very concerned about the rhetoric in our communities um, and the people that is and will be hurting. Yeah, to echo what uh, what Mayor Alex and 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 uh, Carter were saying, Carter was it? Ricky, Ricky, sorry, Ricky, Ricky. I was getting wrong, Ricky. Um, it makes absolutely no sense to have this discussion about a wall and. The division that it creates within the society is absolutely insane. Keep in mind that when they talk about these 21 to 27 billion dollar cost, that's to put up fencing, which we already have, by the way. Where we don't have fencing is in areas where it was so hard to build and so hard to cross that they figured there's no point to it. If we build these 30 foot tall concrete fences, we're, some of the estimates I've seen talk about 50 to 60 billion. That is an insane amount of money, and all that money where they propose to get it from is not from increased taxes on everybody who thinks we should have this great wall. 
It's by cutting social services, health and welfare, environmental agencies, just as Mayor Tisha said. You know, what I reflect on is when I was going through boot camp in the Marine Corps, the, the Communist Soviet Union, that was the big enemy. Nuclear war, major fear, right? One of the greatest moments I can recall from when I was going through my training was being in North Carolina and watching the news and hearing that they had just started tearing down the Berlin Wall. Okay, That, to me, was among the greatest moments I'd ever heard because it was finally victory by our humanity and our reason to see that walls don't fix anything. Walls just deepen problems. So it's it's really disheartening to see this happening for all the reasons that everyone else stated. Thank you. In what ways can our president assist and facilitate immigration reform that benefits immigrants? ¿De cuáles maneras puede nuestro presidente asistir y facilitar una reforma de inmigración que sea al beneficio de inmigrantes? Um, this is no, a tough question um, because asking me to get into the mind of perhaps somebody that I choose not to get in the mind of. Um, but the first step, I think, for, for our current administration is to talk to immigrants, right? Um, there's been a lot of other stuff he's done and a lot of other rhetoric he's done, but I haven't seen anything that where he's actually gone out to communities who are really impacted by this and have conversations or discussions with them. I don't think he's brought anybody to the White House that um, right, or that are being impacted by this. So I would say the first step, um, I don't think it's going to happen, but um, is that he needs to talk to the or, or, or really be, if he's really caring about our country and wants to make it a better place, is, is the way he got elected, then go out to the communities and talk to the people, the people who are being impacted by this policies. I think that's, that's going to be, um, that would be a huge step. Again, I, I'm not holding my breath on that one, but um, that could be a step in the right direction. This is hearing directly from the communities um, to see how they are most impacted um, around this. And um, again, it's, I, it's hard for me to give advice on this one because I just, I'm thinking about how this guy thinks, trying to think, and I think it's going to be a lot of stubbornness. I don't think we're really going to get to a place where there's real reform happening, at least in this Yeah, I com I, I completely agree. I, I mean, this this question, I don't even want to go there. <laughs> uh, but you know, I I think we're seeing with the rhetoric, but with the actions as well. What he's currently doing? I mean, he's employing you know uh, Department of Homeland Security memo. Um, you know, he he wants to employ more ICE agents, more Border Patrol agents. Um, so you know, it's it's the whole enforcing. Um, you know, I, I, I agree with Alex that, you know, you need to talk to these people. You need to talk to these people that are hurting. Um, it's not just, you know, enforce, kick out. Uh, but, you know, one of the other things he's also working on is to speed the process of deportation. Um, so, you know, what can he do? I think the opportunities for him to do great things are there. Uh, great things for the immigrant community to further support them. Um, 
and feel included into the American society. Uh, but the actions, I mean, actions speak louder than words. And that's, I mean, what we're seeing contrary to what we're talking to right now. Yeah, honestly, for me on this question, I just left it blank. I just don't know what he can do to really help, right, in terms of positive, productive change. When I mull it over in my head, the only thing I come up with is he is the personification of that knee-jerk, angry voice, and he is pushing that lack of reason into policy. So the only possible benefit I can see is what is happening right now. Every time that he's trying to move forward on one of these just nonsensical policies, somebody comes up and says, you know, you're doing something unconstitutional. You know, we ran the numbers on that, and it's going to be a dismal failure. You know, we're looking at that, and that actually is just outright illegal, and it's already been done before. Um, so I guess, if anything, he's, he's highlighting how the things that we have done in the past didn't work, and that it's just wrong-minded thinking. Because that's, that's the benefit. Yeah, I think he's taking us backwards. I think we were, had some thoughtful, uh, good looks, some options for, for bringing people forward, for helping them to get citizenship, to become legal. And I feel like he's, his rhetoric has closed all those doors. We'll send everyone back and then we'll figure out how you can come back. That, that's never going to work. And that seems to be his starting point. I can just say, um, we're we're in an interesting place being in California. Um, we're we're all kind of supportive of each other. Our legislators in um, Washington um, are supportive of of immigration reform and of um, supporting our local immigrant population. Um, I'm reading about other states where that doesn't happen, where you might have a big city like New Orleans that. Um, has a strong immigrant population and they're trying to do everything they can um, to be sure that they're not stolen away in the middle of the night. And they have a state senator who is sort of um, bad-mouthing the mayor, saying, oh, you're trying to keep your, your town, um, you know, lawless. And um, that rhetoric is is scary, and it's scary for mayors because we try really hard, and we know the data on our cities, and we know if they're safe, and if they're not, we do things to make them safe. And it's pretty frustrating when you have people in Washington pointing at your community saying, hey, we got to do this on high because you're not safe. Um, and that's just scary to think about that kind of power coming from Washington needs to bubble up, needs to come from our local communities for these issues. Thank you. Um, I believe this is going to be the last question before we go into intermission. Um, so question number five is, what happens if DACA is overturned and what will happen to those utilizing its support? Um, so with, with this question, I actually went to our uh, uh, firm nonprofit standpoint. Oh, yes, sorry. Go ahead, Eddie. Sorry. con los estudiantes utilizando DACA si es anulado? Thank you. Sorry about that. So, uh, you know, and our Board of Appeals accredited representative, uh, you know, the way she looked at it is that, you know, if, you know, uh, this is overturned, DACA recipients will lose their benefits Completely. I mean, it's just, you know, the, the fact. So, 
such things that it, it includes is protection from deportation, regular driver license, travel freely in the U.S. Um, you know, however, our organization will continue until we know otherwise. Uh, we will continue to support those people, uh, the people that want to uh, receive the DACA benefits. Uh, we'll be there for them. Well, I can say that I sincerely hope that we don't go down that path. They keep on threatening. It's still in place, and I hope it continues to stay in place because it, it is nothing but a, a benefit to the individuals and to the society. It creates a means for them to have a Social Security number, to pay taxes, to have a driver's license. It helps create order for what we do, and it highlights how many people uh, are in this position to benefit our society. Um. Yeah, um, I think it would be a mistake. Um, I think it's not taking us forward in a positive way in problem solving. Again, as a mayor, I want people in my community to work together and to um, to c communicate together and to uh, you know make it a better community together. And if you're um, if you're not doing that, um, then you're you're d driving us apart, and um, I just think it would be very sad. We'd be, you know, not even getting the support. But the fear we have is of people going underground, of people not feeling free to communicate, of people being um, preyed upon uh, by people who say, "Well, I know you're not legal. I can extract money from you, or I'll tell." Uh, the law enforcement, uh, or ICE, because local law enforcement wouldn't do anything. Um, so it just creates that fear, and I'd rather see pathways and programs to make people have a, a great experience. Um, I agree with all the comments um, so far. You know, if, if DACA was overturned, we're not sure yet what, what that would look like because the administration hasn't told us um, what that would look like. Specifically, is it going to happen? one day to the next, is it going to be um, after the year, or, or how it, it, it would roll out. But the threat has been there that we're um, thinking about. Uh, we've seen a huge, we've seen a drop, a huge drop, I think about a 40% drop in dream applications. Of dream dream app. um, this is this is a way for, for undocumented students to get um, financial aid from state. And we've seen a drop in that <laughs> over the last year, well, since, since uh, November. And, and we know why, because a lot of our students are fearful, right? If I sign up for DACA, if I, will I, will this be a way for them to deport me? And it's hard to answer that question right now. Um, the president has said that he, he's thinking about it and he's not sure what he's going to do, but it's there. You know, we know that actions speak louder than words, like, you know, the panelists have said. Um, but I also know that we, we are a strong community, right? We will embrace, um, I have a lot of hope for this. We will embrace our, our DACA recipient and offer support through other ways, right? Um, we'll, these, these young people who want to go to college and be successful um, will find ways. They did before because DACA is not something that's been around for a long time, right? So um, I think we'll, we'll, we'll be able to, to manage and, and we'll be able to get our resources together to, to help support, but it's, it'll be a very, very sad day. It'll be, it'll be 25 years backwards, um, not forward. Um, and, and I pray, I mean, I literally pray that this, that this won't happen. 
Thank you. We are going to take a quick 15-minute intermission. There's refreshments outside. Um, go ahead, get up, stretch. There's refreshments outside. Um, and come back in 15 minutes, and we'll start our next set of questions. <laughs> 